I, um, I'm excited to, uh, to finish this series. We can uh, release the band. Why don't you thank the worship team? Doing such a phenomenal job. Beautiful. Bless the Lord. <coughs> Bless the Lord. Um, I can't wait to unlock our identity t- together tonight. Um, I, uh, I've been reflecting on this, uh, this, this question, who am I? This what we're, we're unpacking, we're unlocking our identity. Did a little bit of research coming into tonight. Um, New York Times, uh, talking about people, like how, how desperate we are to know who we are. Like that's that question, who am I, has been, that's like, that's an ancient question that people have been trying to unpack in many different spheres, uh, spiritual, intellectual, everywhere. There is a hunger for people to know who they are. Um, and the, I actually looked it up. The New York Times said that in the business sector alone, upwards of 80 million workers took a personality test last year. And in fact, in 2019, they said that the personality test industry is a $2.3 billion industry. People are paying that much money in the business sector to discover who they are. And uh, I don't know, who here has heard of BuzzFeed? Anyone? It's a it's a it's a it's a uh, website that's well known for his quizzes, and uh, they're often something like you know what Marvel character are you, and you take a personality test, and then you you get a result. Anyone taken one of those before? Maybe a Disney princess, uh, or maybe a, a sporting a sporting team. I haven't done any of those. Uh, haven't done any of those. Maybe when I was like 13, but I'm I'm saved from that in the name of Jesus. However. I am not one of 100 million monthly users who visit that website just to find out what type of fish they are or what, what I don't know, what kind of vehicle you would be if you took this personality test. And uh, what that tells me is that we're really interested in it and we really need to kind of get our, get our bearings as to who we are. And we've been reflecting uh, in this in this three-week series. On uh, we we uh, visited Numbers 13 at the beginning of the series, and we read about the Israelites about to enter the promised land, and how in a moment of uh, not recognizing their identity, or rather a misplaced identity, they missed out on the promised land. They saw giants. They saw uh, they saw. Uh, hardship, and in a moment they saw themselves as grasshoppers, assumed the entire uh, promised land that they were entering into, saw them the same way, and robbed an entire nation of all the promises of God. And that was despite seeing miracle upon miracle. This is the nation that saw an ocean split, that saw plagues upon plagues come upon their enemies so that they would be delivered out of freedom. And yet they missed it because their identity, the way they saw themselves, robbed them of all the promises that God had for them. And what blows my mind about the Israelites, um, even before that happened, um, the moment they entered into the desert after coming out of Egypt, the moment they got hungry or experienced hardship, they got, they got hungry and they complained to Moses and they said, um, as if you wouldn't have just left us in Egypt, because there was food there. We had all the food in the world to, to enjoy, but that was the place of slavery. They would much more preferred stay in a place of slavery because that's how they saw themselves as, you know, they wanted to go back to that place because they hadn't, even though God had rescued them out of Egypt, I've heard it said like this, that he didn't, that Egypt hadn't come out of them yet. They were still stuck in their mind and in their thinking. And so if you and I get stuck in our thinking about how we see ourselves, we get stuck in our destiny. We get stuck in our destiny. And what I love about God is he establishes our identity pretty clear, pretty uh, straightforward at the beginning of scripture. Um, when, uh, when he created all of humanity and the universe, he said this about you and I, that we are created in his own image. 
You and I are created in the image of God, and Ephesians 2 verse 10 says it a little bit more poetically, a little bit more beautifully. I love how it says, it says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That word handiwork and the original Greek in which that, uh, that passage was originally written speaks about masterpiece, spe- speaks about a work of art. And so in Christ, you and I, we're masterpieces. We're work of art. We're not, we're not a mistake. We are not, uh, we are not created imperfectly. He designed us. He gave us an identity. We didn't have to go looking for it. Imagine if every believer on the earth believed that. I believe that 24-7. I believe that we'd walk in a greater victory. I believe we'd walk in freedom. I believe that uh, the things that come against us wouldn't quite sway us so much as they do. But uh, the reality is that just as much as God established our identity at the beginning of creation, the devil's been uh, at that same identity since the beginning of creation. He's been trying to rob us of our God-given identity. He's been trying to destroy it. And uh, that, that's just, that just sucks, doesn't it? He, uh, at the beginning of creation, when God spoke all these things, His first words to Adam and Eve, did God really say that? He sowed a seed of doubt. And He didn't just stop there. He did it all the way to the, to the life of Jesus. And I'm going to part, well, Pastor John mentioned it this morning, a passage of Scripture that we're actually going to sit in tonight and just unpackage a little bit about how the enemy robs us of our identity and how to get back at Him. Sound good? Let's do it. Turn uh, in your Bibles if you've got them, or your phones if you don't, but don't go on Instagram because the Lord is watching. Um, uh, Matthew 3, verse 16, and we're going to read for a little bit. It says this, As soon as Jesus was baptized, He went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on Him. And a voice from heaven said, and I love this, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him, I am well pleased. The Father reaffirms the identity of the Son in, uh, in public. I love that. And then it says, starting in chapter 4, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry. The tempter came to Him and said, catch this, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Here it is again. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give to you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Angels came and attended him. What I recognize when I read this scripture, Jesus is affirmed by the father of his identity in heaven. What's the first thing the enemy does? Tries to sow a seed of doubt. He says, if you are the Son of God. And what does He do to you and I? He says, did God really say that you are loved? Did God really say that you are forgiven? Are you really blessed? Are you really uh, planted? Are you re- do you really have gifts? Do you really have a purpose? And uh, He will attempt to undermine any word that God speaks into our lives 
because he knows that if he can undermine it and sow that seed of doubt and get us to believe that doubt, he'll keep us stuck. Revelations 12.10 speaks of the devil as the accuser of the brethren, is what, it, is what it says. He's the accuser of you and I, the brethren being followers of Jesus. And it says that he stands before God day and night. This guy is relentless. And he is vomiting out accusation about you. Lies about you and I. Every reason why you and I should be unworthy of the love and the presence of God. He will use anything, literally anything. And anyone to accuse you, he'll use your own thoughts, or he'll use the words and opinions of others to accuse you. He'll use the opinions of others to accuse you. Doesn't that suck? Or to try to get you to a place where your identity is fixed on their opinions. Even the words of loved ones, close ones that might have even been well-intentioned, but were just interpreted, misinterpreted, uh, the intention was misplaced, gets upon us, we capture a moment of offense and a demonic stronghold gets upon it, and then all of a sudden it's the only thought that's bouncing around in our head, and then all of a sudden we begin to agree with whatever lie was attached by how we interpreted that. It happens over and over again until it becomes a stronghold that keeps us in a place of fear, insecurity, anxiety, self-doubt, or inferiority. And uh, just to speak to uh, believers for a second, um, that's actually why as believers we have to be really careful about what we say. Um, in the, the life of a believer should be void of gossip and slander. Um, because the moment that we enter into that zone, we actually give the enemy weapons to use in the kingdom of heaven against God. We agree with things that he is already saying about the person you're talking about in heaven, condemning them. That is why you and I, man, we gotta, there is life and death in the power of the tongue for a reason. Let us equip what Jesus says about our brothers and sisters and not what the enemy says. Can, is that okay? Is that okay? Bless the Lord. Just a, just a, just a, a loving tangent there. But um, for me, um, can I get real for a second? Am I allowed to, am I allowed to do that here? I, I think so. It's the house of God. We should, we should be allowed to be vulnerable. Um, I've seen this outworked in my life, or at least um, the words of someone getting on my life, creating a lie and a stronghold that I had to get free from. Um, grew up in a, in a divorced household, um, and just as a precursor, love and adore my dad so much. He, I, I honor him and I bless him, um, but yeah, my parents split when I was young, and I idolized my dad um, up until, you know, I was about 13, 14. And then there was, some, there was a little bit of, um, when I came to know Jesus, some things went down. Uh, the relationship was a bit strained. Anyway, um, this, I don't even remember where we were going. But I remember um, I was just driving with my dad. We were hanging out for the weekend, um, driving somewhere. And we were in a conversation just off cuff, like it was no one's business. He was like, oh, you knew that you were, like, conceived two weeks into my relationship with your mother, right? And in a moment, I realized that I was like the, the lie that entered my mind. Two weeks into my parents' dating relationship, I was, my dad just told me, no warning whatsoever that I was conceived in that moment. Um, and what was the lie that came into my mind? You're an accident. You're an accident. And it, my dad was like completely unbothered by what he said. As far as he was concerned, he was like, oh, I thought you knew this. Nope. And so for years after that moment, that was just banging around in my head you are an accident. You are the reason your parents had to get married and therefore you're the reason why they're divorced. These are the lies that used to bounce around in my head. And so the self-worth, the identity that I had to wrestle with every time I came into the presence of God, I felt like 
all I had was those words in the back of my mind. And he will uh, try to cause you to place your identity in things like that. I don't know if you've had that specific experience, but maybe you've had someone say, maybe your outfit didn't look good that day. And the way that you've interpreted that in your mind is you're ugly. Maybe someone gave you a, a, a coaching conversation in your, in your work, but you interpreted that as your failure. And that's just been bouncing around in your head. I've got to tell you that is a lie of the enemy. And we're going to discover how we can get free of that tonight in the name of Jesus. But the enemy will do whatever he can to try to place your identity in something that is not what he says about you. Not what he says about you. He'll try to get you to doubt what he said about you. Because all those, those thoughts were happening while I had come to faith in Jesus. So I was like wrestling those two things in my teenagehood, trying to figure out how to follow Jesus with that in the back of my mind. So yeah, we can't let him win in that zone. He, uh, he'll try to sow that, that seed of self-doubt, but then yeah, he will try to cause you to place your identity in something other than truly only what he says. And I love that, well, I don't love that it says this, but it, the, the, the tactic of the enemy to Jesus was, if you are the son of God, do this. If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Now, contextually, Jesus hadn't done a single miracle at this point. He actually had not turned water into wine. He hadn't risen anyone from the dead. He hadn't laid hands on the sick. So the enemy was a little bit crafty with this one because, you know, if it, if it was me in that position, I'm going, oh, hold up. Do I have to, like, validate myself in this moment? Do I have to prove that this is what's been spoken of in my life? Not Jesus. Jesus saw the craftiness of it. But he, he does that to us all the time. We can so easily fall into the trap of trying to prove ourselves, try to validate our self-worth and our identity by what we do. Um, talking to the fellas for a second, how often in the first three sentences that you have with a man when you introduce yourself, you say, what? What do you do? What do you do? And then, I don't know, if, if it's just me, then it's just me. Um, I, I know that sometimes judgments can be made based on what is said in that moment. Uh, the Lord's healed me from that, but when I, particularly when I was younger anyway, that was, that was a pride thing. The Lord's uh, humbled me in that regard. But um, I know that we so often place value, too much value on how much money we make, uh, whether or not we have a degree, um, how intellectual we are, how connected we are. And hey, even in church circles, how many people we help through our serving? We, we often will place our identity in that. And that's not where we're called to place our identity because the moment that we are unable to operate in that space, the moment that the, the, the degree doesn't count for much or we get out of that job for whatever reason or we're no longer able to serve in that capacity, our identity goes out the window with the way that we were, we were doing things. But what I love about the affirmation that the Father gave to Jesus was it was before he'd done anything. He had affirmed his identity before he had done a single miracle, before he had preached a single sermon. And that's the affirmation that the Father, that's the identity that we can take a hold of before we do anything. And the way that I used to see this, the way that I, this, this helped me, um, again, going back to my teenager, this is kind of like therapy as I preach. Is that okay? It's like, it's healing therapy. So you're just like, you're just like being welcomed into the Holy Ghost therapy. Um, so once again, I idolized my dad he loved sport. I was relatively decent at sport um, and wanted to do everything I could to make him proud, um, particularly in the world of tennis because he was like on the way to become a tennis great and wasn't able to, so he was kind of living his life through me at the time. Um, but um, I used to be terrified of playing in front of him, hey, because the moment, like I felt like the moment that I didn't beat the person that I should have, he would just be disappointed in me. And there were times in our coaching where he would 
yeah, kind of get on me for not, not hitting the right shot or not, not serving at that, with that much topspin or whatever. And it used to paralyze me. And so I would end up actually losing the people that I should have quite easily beat um, at the time, but just because of the, the pressure that I felt of trying to make my dad proud. And then that even translated to my stepdad. My stepdad, who, once again, I love and I honor, and he's an amazing man, but earlier now, uh, his relationship with my mom, he struggled with anger. And so at that time, uh, I used to tiptoe around the house because I was petrified of doing the wrong thing because I knew that he would blow up. And so how did those, what did those lies start to, start to develop in my head? That if I did the wrong thing, that my father would be angry at me. And how did that translate to my father in heaven? If I did the wrong thing, if I didn't pray enough, if I didn't read my Bible, if I wasn't rocking up to church every week, my motives shifted. It wasn't out of a genuine desire of knowing who God, like knowing that God loved me, knowing, knowing that God loved me. Um, it was to try and earn it, try to earn it. And so these lies and these strongholds just bega- began to, just began to stir up in my mind, and it, it impacted my, my time with God. Every time I woke up and tried to, tried to seek Him, if I had been good and been consistent and prayed for a certain amount of time, then yeah, we were good. I could enter in, enjoyed His love. But the moment I missed it, I'd try to enter His presence, and a heaviness would come upon me. Holy dooly, I cannot begin to tell you. There was like my heart was beating like I was ready to be, like to, for, for someone to tell me I was doing something wrong, and I couldn't pin it. I would reflect, I was like, I hadn't done anything majorly crazy, but there was this guilt and this shame and this condemnation that was weighing in on me. And I realized because there was strongholds, there was, there was condemnation, strongholds. And I've just got to say, as I'm saying these things, if uh, it's resonating with you here tonight, or if it's stirring up memories or things that have been said, um, I believe that the Holy Spirit might just be highlighting some stuff that we need to get free of and receive our true identity together tonight in Jesus' name. So how do we get free? How do we get free? How do we uh, break down those strongholds and receive uh, God's identity toward you and I? I love going back to Matthew 4, how did Jesus respond? He didn't prove himself. He didn't look for affirmation from anywhere else. He said this, it is written. It is written. He did not justice, uh, justify himself. His only tool of retaliation was the written word of God. It was the written word of God. That is the weapon that you and I have been given to fight the enemy. Uh, Pastor John shared this passage, and I'm going to share it again, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 to 5. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly or physical, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing everything into captivity, uh, sorry, every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And then Ephesians 6 verse uh, 17 says, uh, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the weapon that you and I have to retaliate against the enemy, the enemy is unseen, uh, to engage him is to engage in the spiritual realm. We need spiritual weapons, and the Bible is very clear, it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And I love, for Jesus, the Word was so ingrained in his DNA that he was just ready to fire off at the cuff. Even when the enemy tried to use Scripture against him, he was just like, hold up, you don't know what you're saying. This is the truth of, truth of the Word. This is the truth of the Word. And what I also recognize about that, that battle that he had with, with the enemy is it wasn't just a one and done. He had to retaliate and fight 
three, four times. And that tells me that this battle of pulling down the strongholds in our mind is an ongoing process. And for, for me, I'm, I, I'm being set free, have been set free. Sometimes, this, sometimes we go into a season where it's a daily discipline because it's particularly when you're wanting to grow in the call of God and press deeper into Christ, the enemy hates it. So he's going to go back to the only thing he knows how to do, which is to try to rear up those strongholds, to try to sow those lies back in. So we've got to daily get biblically grounded I am statements that can retaliate against the lies that he tries to put in our mind, that he tries to put in our mind. But the amount of damage that we can do to the enemy is based on the sharpness of our sword. And so I guess that my question to you and I tonight would be if we were to measure or display your word life as a sword, would it be a two-handed broadsword or would it be a butter knife? <laughs> in that, if you've got no word in you, you've got nothing to fight with. You need to... <laughs> Sharpen yourself daily, search the Scriptures, find the promises to stand upon, the things that God says about you, otherwise you, are, you might have all the armor on, but you've got nothing to fight back with. You've got nothing to fight back with. And so for me, the, uh, the Scripture or the I Am statement that I actually used in my time of struggle was the Scripture that uh, the Father affirms Jesus with. This here is my beloved Son, whom I love, and whom I'm well pleased. And I remember, I don't remember the specific moment that that word was revealed to me in the middle of all those things that I was wrestling with, but the moment that I realized that that scripture was like referred to me, that was spoken over me, not just Jesus, I remember it just, there was like a light bulb moment and it, and it shifted things for me. I was like, wow, you're telling me I don't have to earn the love of God? Like, I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to get all my ducks in a row. I don't have to pray for two hours. I don't have to say bless you to every person who walks through the doors on a Sunday to earn the love of God. And I was so, I just remember the love of God filled me. For the first, it was for the first time I encountered the love of God was when that scripture was, uh, was highlighted, was illuminated to me, and then I had a weapon. Then I had a weapon. So whenever I got up in the morning, and it still happens today, when I get up in the morning and get into the presence of God and I feel that, that, that gnawing guilt that tries to take a hold of me again, I go, hang on a second. Hang on a second, devil. Hang on a second, devil. I'm God's beloved son, whom he loves and who he well pleased. You got, there's no, you got nothing on me. And then it, begins, it began to expand. I got other scriptures like there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So God, I'm in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation here. And there's other scriptures that I'm wholly blameless without accusation in his sight. And that, that tells me that in, in a moment where the guilt and the shame used to try and take a hold. No, I'm holy. I'm blameless. God looks at me. He looks through me and sees me as completely clean. And so for you and I, I've got to encourage us. The challenge here tonight is this. We've been talking about doing a 40 day challenge about taking an I am statement and just meditating on it. That, that by the scriptures in Romans 12 too says that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's a, it's a continual renewing process where we make a disciplined decision to meditate on the God-breathed promises, the God-breathed I am statement. And so just here for a moment, I just want us all to close our eyes because I believe that God is speaking to some people um, about some lies that you recognize that you've believed about some, uh, some strongholds that have been eating you up. And I believe that God's challenging all of us tonight to take a hold of a scripture, even if it's one, just to meditate on, to take a hold of, to 
be your weapon, to be the sword that you use to combat the lies that, that cloud your thinking. And if you're here tonight and that's you, I just, no one's looking around. This is just a, uh, making a decision that, yeah, God, I am going to go to war against these lies and I am going to meditate on um, that, that I am statement, that scripture, and I am going to get my mind renewed. So if you're here and that's just, you're feeling stirred, God's highlighting, He's showing you something, would you just raise your hand? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, hands going up everywhere. Hands going up everywhere. Bless the Lord. So good. I love that. I love that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I believe the victory is coming. I believe that there are people that are get set free here tonight. But uh, before we go any further, you can open your eyes just for a quick second here. I love that the moment that Jesus, Jesus himself received his identity, but you see it throughout Scripture, is uh, we receive who we are when we discover who God is or when we have that encounter with God. Uh, you know the classic story about Simon when he finally realizes that Jesus is the Messiah. In that moment, when he has a revelation of who Jesus is, Jesus then tells him who he is. You are Peter. I'll build my, on, on the rock of that revelation, I'm going to build my church. He releases him into, into destiny. And that tells me that for us to discover truly who we are, we must first discover truly who God is. And you might be here today and you don't know who God is. Maybe you uh, were brought along by a friend. Maybe you stumbled in. Maybe social media got you here. Whatever reason you found yourself here, you don't understand a heck of a lot of what's going on, but you recognize that there is something different about the room or rather someone different about the room. I've got to tell you, you're not here by accident tonight. Every single person here is here for a reason. And uh, I believe that that reason is to, to invite God into your life. I know that the, uh, I would not have been able to experience the freedom that I did without first believing in Jesus, without first knowing the hope that he had to, to give. And I, and I believe that if, uh, if you would put your trust in Jesus tonight, that you could leave this place changed. And we're going to create a moment to do that right here and now. So I just want to sort of close our eyes again. All across this room, <clears throat> I believe there's three types of people here tonight. You might be here. And you're like, yeah, Isaac, that's me. There is something missing in me. I don't get everything you're talking about, um, but you're talking about Jesus, and I want to know him. There's something really empty and missing in my heart that I've been trying to fill elsewhere, and I can't find it. I want to I trust in him tonight. I believe that in a moment, if you would just acknowledge that that's me, you can raise up your hand. I'll acknowledge I've seen it. You can put it down. And in a moment, we're going to say a prayer inviting Jesus into our lives. Secondly, you may be here and uh, you, would, uh, you attended church or maybe once upon a time you had a relationship with Jesus, but you find yourself here tonight and you know in your heart that you've drifted away through circumstances, through, through hurt, for whatever reason, but you find yourself here tonight and you're longing to return to Him. I've got to tell you, God's not angry. He's not, he's not condemning you. His arms are open and He's welcoming you back in. And, he, and he's, he's so expectantly waiting. So if that's you in a moment, you can raise your hand. But lastly, you might be here and you're like, Isaac, I believe in God. But when I think about eternity, when I think about heaven and hell, there is not a peace. And I've got to tell you through Jesus and through Jesus alone, he said he's the only way so that you and I can have that peace. So across this room with every eye closed, if you're any one of those three people, on the count of three, I'm just going to invite you to be bold and to raise your hand. I'll acknowledge I've seen it. You can put it down and we'll pray. So one, two, three. Is anyone here saying, yes, I see up, up on my right there. Praise God. Nice and high so that I can see it. Don't want to miss anyone in this moment. 
So good. That's amazing. You can put your hand down. Is there anyone else here that wants to join this bold man in inviting Jesus into their lives? I've got to tell you, it changes everything. It changes everything. It doesn't make things perfect, but invites the one who walks with you through and through every season. It changes you from the inside out. Is there anyone here? I don't want to waste this moment. Wants to put their faith in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. With every eye closed, we're going to say this prayer. And for that gentleman up the back, you can say this prayer like you're saying it directly to God. But all of us together are going to say this prayer directly to Jesus. Say, Dear Father in heaven, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you sent Jesus to create a way for me to know you. I turn away tonight from living life my way and I put my trust in you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit tonight and the love of God. And I thank you that as I put my faith in you, I'm born again, loved by God, going to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church.